Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. Summer has hit the UK and the music festival season is just getting underway. So today we're going to take a look at the event which took place at a small music festival in August 2013. So what was happening in the world in August 2013? Ellie Goulding with Burn topped the UK charts and in the US it was Robin Thicke with Blurred Lines. I say nothing. Number one in Australia was one of the most ridiculous videos I think I've ever seen as Katy Perry topped the charts with Raw. This month was yet another disastrous day for democracy and human rights as on August the 1st Robert Mugabe continued to maintain power after winning 142 out of 210 seats in the Zimbabwe election. Everyone's favourite athlete, the mighty Usain Bolt, won the 100 metres at the World Championships in Russia and 61 people were killed after the ferry MV Thomas Aquinas sank in the Philippines. Britain's Michelle McCollum and Melissa Reed were formally charged with attempting to smuggle £1.5 million worth of cocaine out of Peru And in the UK, a Super Puma L2 helicopter crashed in the Shetland Islands, resulting in four fatalities among the oil rig workers being carried. And me personally, August the 31st, I was at Fortress Ellen Road to watch the mighty Leeds United lose 1-0 to QPR, with barely a whimper of defiance in another season of disappointment where we reached the mighty heights of 15th in the championship. Still, next year... It's all going to be different, isn't it, Steph Jackson? In November 2016, the organisers of the Brownstock Music Festival announced that they would no longer be holding the festival. This event, held over three days annually since 2005, attracted thousands of visitors each year. The event had started really small, being run by the Brown family on their farm in Essex, near the small town of Southwood and Ferrers, which is close to the new city of Chelmsford, around 35 miles northeast of London. Brownstock prided itself in having a great line-up, while at the same time maintaining the intimate family feel and the rustic uniqueness of the festival. They didn't want to become really big like a Reading or a Glastonbury. Aberdeen Angus beef from the farm was the only beef you could buy at the festival, and the family themselves made many of the festival areas and decorations. But by 2016, it had grown to have four separate stages, and 23 festival areas. In 2013, the festival was held over the weekend of 31st of August, 1st of September, and headlined by Professor Green and the Fratellis. If you've been around a festival for its starts, it's actually a pretty cool vibe watching the early people arrive, lots of tents, a lot of people having a few drinks, the sun's always shining, well, usually shining, and it's just a really relaxed, chilled out place where people are having fun. One of the men who arrived at the event ready to relax and have an awesome time was local man, 33-year-old Jonathan Graham, who came to the festival with his girlfriend and some friends. Jonathan was a popular guy who worked as an IT manager at Danish floor company Junkers, based in nearby Whitton, 
where he had a reputation for always being willing to go the extra mile to help others. Jonathan spent lots of time with his friends and family, and in his spare time he was really into Formula One motor racing, and his Subaru car, which was his absolute pride and joy. Like so many others at the festival, Jonathan had brought with him some drugs. In his case, it was so-called legal highs. He had ordered, now bear with me here, I'm no expert, 5-EABP, which is a derivative of the drug Benzofury. He bought it online. This man-made drug, now banned in the UK, was legal at the time and is very similar to other substances like, surprisingly, Benzofury and MDMA. A friend of his had collected the package from a local postal sorting office a few days before the festival, and although the label stated, not fit for human consumption, this was not something that worried Jonathan and his group of friends. These drugs are incredibly common in the UK. Another festival goer who arrived on the Saturday was 32-year-old Paul Wickerson. After graduating with a geology honours degree at Edinburgh University, Paul went on to complete his Masters at Imperial College in London. From there he joined a petroleum company in Bergen, Norway, as a graduate geologist in well exploration. In March 2012, he moved to Sydney, Australia, having accepted a position as a development geologist. Now Paul was one of those people who really loved his job. You're the same, right? In between his degree and master's, Paul decided to take a gap year in France, where when he wasn't working in a pizza restaurant, every spare moment was spent on the slopes perfecting his boarding techniques. This had a huge effect on him, and from then on his real passion in life was the peace and absolute freedom of the mountains, snowboarding, and all that's related to that chilled lifestyle. Paul's charismatic, friendly nature, coupled with his very engaging and adventurous personality, had made him many close friends around the world. Before leaving Norway, Paul had begun dating Sarah in November 2011, who at the time was living in London. Sarah decided to join him in Australia, where they now live together, loving the quality of life in Sydney. And if you haven't been to Sydney yet, my advice is to go as soon as possible. I lived there for around six months, and it's just impossible not to love the the beautiful scenery, but the laid-back outdoor lifestyle. I absolutely loved it. Paul was back home in England on a short holiday to visit his parents in Surrey, and to attend some festivals with former college friends. Being the sort of guy he was, Paul was trying to fit in as much as possible into his brief time back in the UK. Paul had arrived at the music festival at around 9.30am on the Saturday morning, straight from Fabric Nightclub in London, before relaxing in a tent and sleeping for around three hours. He'd had no sleep the night before he'd come straight from the club. He then woke up and drank some beers in the afternoon and took some cocaine, some ketamine, and an LSD tablet. This didn't have a very good effect on him, and he started to believe that he'd been robbed, and he escaped the grasp of his friends who attempted to look after him. His friends estimate they lost contact with him at about 10pm that night. Shortly after that time, Paul was spotted wandering in a circle in a field behind the main stage at the festival, wearing just a shirt and shorts. This is where he was found by security guards, Gregory Maxwell, 32, of Romford, Essex, and Brian Atkins, 49, of Ilford, Essex. Maxwell was the operations director of Event Security Solutions. That was a security firm employed by Brownstock at the time. And Atkins was a 30-year-old veteran of the security industry, who was employed as a security door supervisor at the company. 
It was a super busy weekend for the firm, who made approximately 40 evictions from the site that weekend, which had around 4,000 guests and up to 1,000 members of staff. The two security guards spotted Paul, and he clearly was in a great state. As they approached him, Paul tried to punch one of the men. When this happened, the two men restrained Paul for their safety and his own. Adam Brown, the Deputy Director of Brownstock, happened to be in the area while this was taking place, and he saw his staff handcuffing a topless Paul before driving him off in a Land Rover Discovery. He noted there was a lot of trying to restrain him as Paul was frantically trying to attack them. He watched as they put handcuffs on his ankles and his hands which were behind his back, despite his struggles. He then watched as his staff carried Paul back to the service road, presumably to take him to the part of the site where he could get some medical help. This was standard procedure, and how to react to situations like this were all covered by the policy guidelines in the booklet produced by Operations Director Gregory Maxwell before the festival. Shortly afterwards, there was another commotion. Adam Brown heard the emergency services as they raced past the site, and he understood they'd been called to a serious road accident near the festival. He later confronted security guard Maxwell, asking him what had happened to the guy who'd been restrained earlier on. Maxwell replied along the lines of, We drove him off site and kicked him out a couple of miles away, and gestured in a general direction. Adam Brown responded, Well, we better hope that's not to do with the incident that happened on the road. He then thought no more of it. As a festival organiser, your security professionals are key for the success of the event, and they have to be trusted to manage the security. However, unfortunately on this occasion, Adam Brown's worst fears were shortly confirmed. Shortly after Adam had seen security staff restrain him, Paul Wickerson was dead. Police revealed he died about 10.45pm nearby after he was hit by at least four cars after leaving Brownstock. He was found on the grass verge of the road and was dead at the scene. A later post-mortem examination would reveal he died of multiple injuries. Police immediately arrested the two security staff, Maxwell and Atkins. What they heard from witnesses, if true, was deeply shocking. It was alleged that rather than being taken to the safety of the medical facilities, Paul was actually bundled into the Land Rover by the two security men, still handcuffed by his hands and ankles, and driven to a remote spot two and a half miles away where he was dumped on the road. One of the witnesses heard Maxwell or Atkins describing it as a four-mile Bush Tucker trial. This is a term used to describe challenges in the reality TV show I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here where celebrities have to carry out challenges to earn food for the other celebrities staying at the camp. Essentially, it was alleged that just for fun, they dumped him to see if he could make his way back to the festival site, even leaving his festival wristband so they could monitor this. But because of the drugs he had taken, he was in a real state when he was kicked out of the Land Rover on the dark country roads close to the site. Although the roads are quiet and dark, they're fast roads. Paul was completely disorientated on a road with a 60 mile an hour speed limit and just 15 minutes after he left the Range Rover he was killed by a car and then run over by others. One passing motorist described Paul as quote, having dived in front of the car as if he were jumping into a swimming pool. Atkins and Maxwell were charged with false imprisonment and kidnap and awaited trial. Before we head to their court case let's return to Jonathan Graham 
who we left with his friends on the Saturday of the festival. Tragically, at 11.08am the next day, Sunday the 1st of September, Jonathan Graham was also dead. During Saturday, along with others in his group, he took the legal high 5-EAPB. The next morning he complained of feeling unwell and his friends felt he looked unusually sleepy. Jonathan then started to fit and was treated at the scene before being taken to nearby Basildon Hospital, where he died a few hours later. Jonathan's girlfriend was also taken to hospital for ingesting the same drug, along with a second man, a friend of the couple. At the inquest, his dad said, In my letter to the coroner, I wrote that my one big concern was I didn't arrive in time to see John alive. The hospital had written down a couple of numbers wrong, they knocked on the wrong house, and instead of knocking on another door, they went back to the hospital, which was wasted time really. By the time we got there, he had gone really. They were just keeping him going until we arrived. Essex police said they'd ruled out that anyone else supplied the drug to Jonathan. Jonathan's dad explained he'd looked into legal highs following his son's death and was amazed at the ease of getting the drugs. We've had an awful thing to do, but we've been right into it. And retailers act like Amazon really. They say they're not for human consumption, but they're not a controlled drug and they fall outside a temporary banning order. The coroner said, They are always devising new drugs and that's the insidious mischief of it. Recording a verdict of accidental death, he said to Jonathan Graham's family and friends, Can I express my condolences to you? He clearly had a promising future, a lot going for him. He was clearly much loved. I hope you can look back at the happy memories. Stephen Maltby, the managing director of Yonkers, where Jonathan worked, said, He was a truly dependable guy who never said no to anything. Whenever we had a problem, he was Mr Dependable. He's a great loss to us. It's a very close-knit team and everybody in the company knew him and spoke with him, so he's going to be sorely missed by all of us. And of course... Our thoughts are with his friends and family at this sad time. In May 2014 at Chelmsford Crown Court, the trial began of Maxwell and Atkins, who were accused of the false imprisonment and kidnap of Paul Wickerson. Both men denied the charge. Andrew Jackson, prosecuting, made clear he felt the stunt they played on Paul Wickerson was premeditated and they'd done it before. A witness said that during the brief journey to drop him off in the road, Atkins told Paul he was being taken on a four-mile bush trucker trial, with Maxwell replying, Do you remember when we'd done that at the other festival? Jackson said, Paul Wickerson was clearly the worst for wear because of the drugs. It was done just for sport, to see if he could make his own way back. Maxwell claimed he was not in the car that dropped Paul to the nearby B Road, and Atkins said he doesn't recall the eviction. Dressed in a black bomber jacket and dark glasses, Atkins told the court he didn't remember the specific eviction because of how many took part in the weekend, but he agreed it was possible that he was present. He did say that the idea he took Paul away from the festival as sport to see if he could make his way back was ludicrous, and he still could not identify him to this day. It's ludicrous that I'd play a game with a man. It beggars belief, he told the court. When the police showed me his picture, I could not even recognise him. I've seen it a million times. I see it at night when I go to sleep, but I still don't recognise the man. When asked about the comment he was said to have made about taking Paul for a four-mile bush-tucker trial, he said, I don't even know what a bush-tucker trial is. I had to ask my kids. I do not see the relevance either. A video showing Atkins taking part in an ejection from the site was shown to the jury, 
which explicitly showed him with handcuffs and attempting to hand them to fellow security guards. But Atkins said he'd never had to use these handcuffs or shackles, as the prosecutor Andrew Jackson described them, during the course of the weekend. Jackson said, We have evidence of another security guard who identified you as someone who handcuffed someone on the Friday. Was that you? He must have been confused, said Atkins. Prosecutor Jackson said, You wanted to teach Paul Wickson a lesson, didn't you? But Atkins said, No, that's ludicrous. Why would I do that? It's hilarious. I've had more punches thrown at me than you've had hot dinners. He also said that during the festival, it was impractical to take those ejected to a police station. People were getting removed hard and fast, he added. The nearest police station was Chelmsford, and it had been impossible. We've never had the time to do anything like that. Much of the discussion had rested on who applied handcuffs to Paul. Maxwell said, I did not have any handcuffs, and I do not wear them, adding, I am denying that I applied the handcuffs. Apparently, I applied them whilst I was using a radio. To which Prosecutor Jackson said, Did you? And Maxwell replied, I am not an octopus, am I? During the trial, a text conversation that Maxwell had with his partner at about 8.41pm, just over 90 minutes before Paul's removed from the site, was revealed. I'm running out of handcuffs, Maxwell wrote. His partner said, Oh no, you have to use cable ties then, lol. And Maxwell said, They don't hurt as much though, lol. Maxwell claimed that this was just light-hearted conversation. But Prosecutor Jackson said the two doormen had clearly discussed their actions beforehand. He said, They took him away and Brian Atkins was clearly heard saying that they were taking him on a Bush Tucker trial. He was clearly the worst for wear because of the drugs. It was done just for sport to see if he could make his own way back. Mr Wickerson was taken away for their amusement. They kidnapped him before letting him out to see if he could get back to the festival and complete his four-mile Bush Tucker trial. On the 28th of May 2014, the jury came back with their verdict. Both men were found guilty of kidnap. Gregory Maxwell was jailed for three years and Brian Atkins for three years and nine months for kidnapping Paul Wickerson at the Brownstock Festival. Atkins was also given six months to be served consecutively after a CS gas canister was found at his home. Trial judge Karen Warden-Smith told the two men, I don't sentence you for Paul Wickerson's death, but your breach of trust and woeful failure protect those you have the responsibility to protect. Your actions during an approximate half-hour period had the result that one much-loved and talented young man unnecessarily lost his life. Atkins was given a longer sentence as the judge decided he had greater culpability. I'm satisfied you shackled him by the ankles, drove him to the place he was left and physically left him there, she said. In a statement, Paul's family said, Paul had achieved all he wanted educationally, culminating in a master's degree from Imperial College London. Following university, he worked abroad in the oil industry. His interests were varied, including snowboarding, football, golf and travelling. Paul fulfilled many things in his life, displaying his vibrant personality at all times. Detective Chief Inspector Simon Werrett of Essex Police said, People who attend festivals expect those responsible for security to provide them with a safe environment to enjoy themselves. They do not expect them to manhandle them, to handcuff them and dump them on a dangerous road. Mr Wickerson's death should not have happened. 
There are some who believe that justice was not fully done in this case. It's hard really to get to the root of it, but there's confusion about exactly who was in the Land Rover that dropped off Paul Wickerson on the road where he met his death. It is alleged that four security guards were in the Range Rover, but that two were spared prosecution, so they could act as a witness for the prosecution and give evidence against the other two. What is clear is that Paul Wickerson's death shouldn't have happened. It clearly could have been avoided. There are numerous issues around the credentials, qualifications and the training of security guards at festivals. And although they have a tough job, there's no doubt about that. I'm sure we've all been present when we've felt a little bit uneasy about how a security guard has dealt with a certain situation. I know I have anyway. I wonder if you feel the same. Even the same night that Paul Wickerson died, at about 11.30pm, there was another violent incident at the Brownstock Festival, which is currently going through the courts in Chelmsford. A man called Dan Lockwood was savagely assaulted and left for dead with blood spurting out of his nose, mouth, eyes and ears. This follows an attack and a savage kick to the head, which in court was described as like a footballer taking a penalty. One witness, Toby Listerbridge, told the court that he was sure his friend Dan was dead after the alleged assault. Listerbridge claimed that Dan's life was only saved by a paramedic after he swallowed his tongue having been knocked unconscious by the gang, one of whom had filmed while they'd stamped on him. I think it's also telling for the security at the festival. He said that the alleged incident was ignored by security guards, and one told him they did not want to get blood on them, saying, There were two security guards there, and I was pleading for them to help, but they were too scared. Once more, it doesn't sound like security at the Brownstock Festival was particularly effective that night it could easily have been another dead man at the festival. So should the security guards have been challenged by other festival goers, or by Deputy Director of Brownstock, Adam Brown, who saw the incident? I don't know. Would you have challenged them? Could his friends have stopped this situation developing? Again, I don't know, but I don't agree with those who suggest his friends should have done more. Again, as many of us will know, when a grown-up, a friend of ours, has taken any substance in the often chaotic environment of a festival, whether it's drink, drugs or anything else, it's incredibly difficult to keep track of them. Unfortunately, the only thing we can say for certain is that two young men with everything to live for both lost their lives at the Brownstock Festival in 2013. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the UK Weekly True Crime Podcast. This week, the monthly bonus episode has been released for Patreon supporters called Christmas in London. Hey, I know, I know, but what else would I cover in the height of the UK summer? You can't follow the rules all the time, can you? Life would be boring. If you'd like to listen to this bonus episode or the other two, or support the show on Patreon generally, please head to patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash UK true crime. That's it for now for me. So until we talk again next week, cheerio. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? 
purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.